an award. Uh, yesterday, I received, along with some of the other staff, uh, Nonprofit of the Year at San Juan Oaks in Hollister. So this is all for you. I went up and, uh, you know, there's room full of 300 people, probably the, you know, the most kind of influential people involved in our community, room of 300 people, and they said for when I accepted the award on behalf of the church that I had three minutes to, to do the thank yous. And, I, and I, I, I said, I want, the first thing I said is like, you actually told the pastor that they only have three minutes to talk here. So uh, I said that if I was able to pull off my, my little spiel in three minutes or less, that that would be the equivalent to divine intervention, thus proving beyond the shadow of a doubt the existence of God before you all. And uh, I did it under three minutes. It was like two minutes and 40 seconds. Um, and because of that, right after we sang some worship songs, passed out the offering plates, none of that happened. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. Uh, I thanked everyone there on behalf of, of this church. I thank you all. This award is for all of us, for the hundreds of people who put in just countless time and money, energy, blood, sweat, and tears to serve our community. I told a story about Jesus telling people to love their neighbors and said, hey, we're just, we're just trying to do what Jesus told us to do, and we're happy that someone noticed. So uh, good job, everyone. Good work on that. Also, maybe equally providential, this is the best, I don't know if someone made notice of this, the best second service Super Bowl attendance in South Valley Community Church, at least in my recollection. I mean, so part of it is either could be one of two things. I'm going to put it to number one, even though I think it has a little bit to do with number two. Uh, you all have just grown so much in holiness and righteousness throughout the years. Or it just may be people aren't feeling football as much as they used to. But this is like Super Bowl Sunday used to be, it was like a joke. It would be like, you come into second service, worship team goes up. Hi, Bob. <laughs> and it was like, you know, so this, this is great. Okay, so we're in the last week of our series called Practicing the Way. We're calling it Practicing the Way because before Christians were called Christians, they were called people of the way because they believed Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and they wanted to walk in his ways. And the series has been simultaneously, as we've said every week, both incredibly easy to understand and grasp, but difficult to implement and do. We're looking at the words of Jesus, direct commands that he gives, and then actually trying to do them. We've talked about how there was the slogan, the phrase, what would Jesus do? And that was a great helpful saying. It, you know, imagined a hypothetical situation you would be put in and then say, if that situation occurred, what would Jesus do? And what Jesus would do, you should do, or something likewise. That's good, fine, and well. But in addition to that, there's just straight commands in scripture, like do this, do this. And so we've been trying to do those, challenging every week. This week's a little bit of a curveball, a little bit different. Uh, and like every week, easy to understand, maybe difficult to actually do. So let's dig right in. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces 
their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but for your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what's, what's the point? Jesus is saying, when you fast... Don't do it so people know. You're not trying to telegraph that. You're not trying to let the world know, oh, look at how righteous I am. I'm fasting. So, you know, like, don't, like, make yourself look all tired. Put on your worst clothing and then, like, walk slow into, hey, hey, what's wrong? Oh, I've been fasting. It's hour two, and it's just really, really <laughs> so difficult. Now, here's the curveball, though is yes, there's a command to to how you ought to fast, but there might be something underneath that that you might be asking. And it's this. When you fast, there is an assumption by Jesus that his followers fast. And this is really interesting because there's nowhere in the New Testament where there's a direct command that says, you have to fast. But I can tell you, all throughout the scriptures, not just in one or two places, it's an assumption that followers of Jesus fast. It's everywhere. And so when the Bible talks about fasting, it's usually telling you how you ought to do it, not to do it. It's almost like praying. The Bible teaches you how to pray. It doesn't say, hey, you need to start your, your morning with prayers. No, pray like this. There's an assumption that the followers of, that the followers of Jesus would fast. Now, this is what's incredibly interesting. We might be the only generation in Christian history that doesn't regularly, pra- regularly practice a habit of fasting. Maybe the only generation ever. Maybe in the last 50 to 70 years this has, has occurred. But for every generation since the cross of Christ, Christians fasted regularly. Or at least they lied and pretended to because they, they know they should. I mean, they might have been sneaking in some, like, some snacks on the side. But the early church, for instance fasted every Wednesday and Friday. We know this because a first century document called the Didache that we've talked about in the past talks about when you fast, you should fast like this. And it mentions that all the believers are fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. Friday was incredibly important uh, because that's the day Jesus crucified. That's Good Friday. So you lead up to that weekend on Friday, you repent of your sins and remember the cross of Christ. Sunday isn't a fasting day. Sunday is celebration. It's Resurrection Sunday. Even more fascinating is it's not just like Christians throughout history that have fasted. Every religious system, every major world religion has fasting as a part of their regular spiritual habits and disciplines. And Christianity was no different. They had different motivations for doing it, by, for sure. But people fasted. In fact, in order to be baptized... By the end of the first century, the Christian tradition was that you fasted the day before you were baptized, leading up to your baptism. And the person baptizing you fasted. Because what was taking place was so sacred, so weighty and significant, you would dare not profane the sacredness of that moment by eating. I mean, that, I mean you know, the, how, how many people, I mean, seriously, I mean, don't say this to like belittle it, but how many people would be like, I want to become a Christian. And you go, well, you need to fast before you go get baptized. Mm. You know, the Bible verse says, count the cost. I've counted it, not even for today. Not going to happen, sorry. Or how many pastors would be like, 
wait, I have to fast before I baptize somebody? They didn't tell me that Bible school. I'm out. <laughs> but this is a regular thing in, in, in Scripture, in the Old and New Testament, and in church history. There's a major reason why we're, we're not fasting regularly. I think it has to do with this. Instant gratification. We are a culture saturated in instant gratification. Every single one of us have been wired since birth to seek instant gratification. I mean, all the technological advances, all the devices we have are wiring our brains to get what we want as soon as possible. And I've used this illustration before, but it just, it works so well. Here's, some of you know what this is. Remember, I've talked about this before, but it's so helpful. For those of you who don't know what this is, this is an eight track. And uh, many people in this room remember rocking some jams on the eight track. Uh, eight tracks, what were you listening to on the eight track? Pat Benatar? Aerosmith. Aerosmith? Eagles? Okay. okay, so this crowd, all the bands that you've named, I know, which is awesome. At the other two services, I'm, I was like, what's that? What's that? Were you here for a service? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, America, that's a band? And then at Hollister, I, I'm not even going to get it right. I still don't know. I, I asked like 10 times. It was something like Goff Scab or something like that. Bob, Bob, what? what? <laughs> See, I, was like, I was like, Bob Scab? Like, who? <laughs> That was Matt Kirkland, the campus pastor of the Hollister. He said that. I go, what? What? But I know these ones. These are good. Journey and Aerosmith. I know these ones. One more. What were you listening to? What's that? Beatles. Beatles were 8-track. I don't know Conway Twitty. Okay. But here was the issue. How many songs did an 8-track hold? Eight songs. And if you listen to the one song that you liked... If you wanted to listen to it again, what did you have to do? Yeah, you, I mean, it develops patience because you're having to listen to those seven other horrible songs that you don't even like to get back to the one that you do like. But then technology advances and we get the cassette, which was awesome because, you know, you could fast forward and rewind, uh, but it was still problematic because you still had to wait like fat, and then you had to guess, you know, not too far, yeah, you do it too much. And then what happens? You remember? Remember the little tape gets all whack, and then you got a little needle, and you're, you're trying to wrap it, wrap it back. I said, I, I got to fix this because this is what my husband gave me on our first date. This was his mixtape of Lud Jams, man. It has time after time on it. He sang it to me. It was just awesome. We got to get back to that. So technology had to advance, and then you get the CD, which, which this is the debut album of the greatest R&B uh, group of all time, Boys to Men, Cooley High Harmony. Uh, this debut had such hits as It's So Hard to Say Goodbye, Motown, Philly, and The Still of the Night, and The Greatest Love Ballad, End of the Road. Incredible debut album. You could just skip song. You could listen to Motown, Philly all you want. Just hit a little button back. Done. And the sound quality on CDs was great, right? But there's a problem. It was like... Oh, yes, yeah, they scratch, too. That's a problem. But they only get like 10 to 15 songs, tops. And so I want access now to my entire music collection. And the iPod. You have access to your entire music collection. Da, 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 da. But still, that's not good enough. That's not enough, and it's not fast enough. And so to show you the next slide, I would just show you a blank slide. Because now you have 
instant access to the near sum total of all recorded music instantly streamed magically through the air. You don't even have to find it. You just talk to your internet-enabled device. Find Bob Scab now. (laughs) It's done. Boom. But you see, I mean, this is crazy instant gratification. And what happens when you don't have a good internet signal and the song's loading and you have to wait five seconds for that song to play? Some of you are patient, you know, the Spirit's done a work in your life. But if you're like me, it's been five seconds and it hasn't started and I'm already stupid internet, one AT&T. Or you're on YouTube and you click on a video and it has to, eh, what's wrong, stupid YouTube? Because you need it instant. You don't want to wait. It's in music. It's, it's in, with, with food. I mean, think, that's, that's magic, you guys. You, in your house, you have a magical weather control system that freezes food. And then you could stick it in a box, and like in two minutes, you got legit lush egg rolls ready to go. Microwave burritos, bam. It's five bucks, freeze them, two minutes tops. And you know what? If you're honest with yourself, there's sometimes you start to pace around that microwave, because honestly, two minutes is too long. (laughs) Getting you angry and worked up. Instapot? That's crazy. This is weird. You know how this works? You put food in an Instapot, okay? And then it, it gets like vacuum sealed, and it gets transported to another dimension where the, there, it's high pressure. It's like a extreme, you would die in this high pressure. And so there's a timer, and when the timer's done, a little wormhole opens up and takes the, the food back from the high pressure dimension, and you open up, and that would cook you like, it would have taken you eight hours to cook that. And you're, it's like 45 minutes to an hour. And you know what, what's weird? It can even taste better in 45 minutes to an hour than in eight hour. Now, some of you don't believe it, but some of you got Instapots and you know what I'm talking about. It's weird. Inst- I mean, just ridiculously fast. And we can go on with example after example. But it's everywhere. Instant gratification. You want know food? There's tons of restaurants you can, you, can, you can go to. If you don't want to sit for a half hour at a restaurant, you just go to any of these fast food places. Instant gratification. So it should tell us that it's no coincidence that the same generation that has been brought up with instant gratification is the same generation of Christians that somehow overlook the need to fast. There's a relationship there. It's everywhere on the Bible, but we're just not doing it. And it's not just like one or two of us, so it's don't, don't feel bad like you're in this room thinking, I'm the one who doesn't fast. Like, no. 98% of Christians aren't regularly fasting. I don't know the exact stat, but it's probably something like that. But in the Bible, it's an assumption. Now, quick definition about fasting. Fasting is simply not eating food and or water. Food, food or water. You can, sometimes there's, you don't eat food, but you still drink water. But it's food or water. You don't eat that for a given period of time. Now, the reason why I say that is because that's actually a controversial statement that it's okay to disagree with me on this, where I'm going, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced on, on the point, and I think it's right. Um, modern Christians, probably all of us, have been taught that fasting can be from anything. 
And so you can fast from social media, you can fast from like chocolate, you can fast from dessert. And what I'll say is this, those are all good things. Like going on a break from social media, not eating dessert for a month or so, that's all good. But I would use a different word. The word I would use is abstinence because you are abstaining from eating something like chocolate. And the reason why I don't consider that fasting is for two reasons. One, the Bible always refers to fasting with food. And food. It's a food issue. Two, when you stop participating in social media, you are saying no to some vice or bad habit or something that you need to lay off of. Like when you fast from chocolate, it's because like you know you love chocolate. Why? It's like this is good and you eat too much chocolate. So I'm going to fast from that. You're fasting from a vice or some bad habit. When you fast from food, something profound is occurring. You are saying no to the most basic and fundamental desires of the human body. Your most base desire on the basic fundamental level is to eat. Think of the animal kingdom. This is how we operate. Your basic bodily daily need is to consume food. And food is not a bad thing. It's not like social media that you look at too much. You're saying no to a good thing that God designed your body to have. And you're stopping that for a certain period of time. That is different than saying no to a vice or some bad habit. And so you're telling the most basic desire and need of your body, no, Jesus is enough. You know, there's worship songs that'll say like, Jesus, you're more precious than gold or silver. It's a great lyric, it's true, but it's like we should kind of replace it. Jesus, you're more precious than food. Because before we need gold, you need food. That which is most precious is food. And the reason why you want a lot of gold anyway is so that you can get nice, good food. So you're saying no to the basic levels, desires of the human body. Now, another note before we look at this a little bit more. Um, we're not fasting, but when we do fast, we often do it with bad motivation. And so, um, there's a version of fasting that looks like this. God has closed the doors here, but I still want this. So I am going to fast to get what I want. It's like I want to almost manipulate the will of God. It's like I really want this job, and so I'm going to fast in order to get it. Now, again, there's a version of that that's okay. You're praying that God would provide something. But you have to be real careful because you're one step away from being the prophets of Baal. Remember the story? Elijah with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal went Baal to show up. And so in order to show him that they have real intense spirituality, they begin to afflict their body. Look at us. We mean what we say, God. We're afflicting our bodies so much. Now Baal, show up on our behalf. So there's a thin line of trying to manipulate God with spirituality like fasting and saying, God, I come before you for this reason or because of this. So what I want to briefly do is look at the reasons why people fasted in the scripture and then kind of from that give us some practical steps how we could participate in this spiritual practice. So when do people fast in scripture? There's three major categories of fasting in scripture. There's others, but the three kind of big ones are tragedy, impending doom, and repentance. Other times people fast are um, when there's an appointing of a king. 
or an elder or a pastor. So before you're going to install an elder at a church, that person would fast and the people installing him as an elder or a king would fast. One of the other reasons is you're praying for wisdom. It's like this big, massive decision coming up and you want the Lord's wisdom, not your wisdom making the decision. So you fast leading up to that. But the three big categories in scripture are tragedy, impending doom, and repentance. So the first, tragedy. Something bad happens. And it's so bad or so horrific that to eat or to care about food in that moment would profane the heaviness of that moment. So you see this all throughout scripture. Just a couple examples. 1 Samuel 31, 12. When Saul and his sons are killed in battle, the men of Jabesh-Gilead fast. 2 Samuel 1, 12. David and his men fast when they learn of Saul's death. So someone dies and you fast. Because to eat, to care about food, would insert such common activity in something that's so weighty and heavy, it would profane the moment. What's interesting is most cultures and people do this one automatically, and most cultures kind of work out their own rhythm around how to deal with this. So what happens when a loved one dies? You automatically fast. You lose your appetite. You don't eat. If it's someone you truly care about, you don't worry that day about food. In fact, your friends and loved ones remind you to drink water because it just goes away. But then how does the ritual work? You have a funeral, and then after the funeral, there's this gathering, and what happens? Friends and family all bring food together, and you eat. And it's this kind of sacred, symbolic act that says, we've been grieving, and now we need to enter back into nourishing our bodies. Now, if it's a, a, a really close loved one, you, you don't go back to eating like normal. It takes time to go back. But that act is sort of saying, I need to at least start feeding my body something. So most cultures kind of naturally do this type of fast. The one that our culture doesn't naturally do is the, what we'll call the impending doom category. And I chose my words carefully. It's not like something bad is going to happen. No, this is like impending national apocalyptic disaster. It's like Death Star level destruction. It's like the whole Ewok planet is about to get destroyed. And so all them little Ewoks fast. You see this in scripture again and again where Israel is in trouble. The enemies of Israel surround Israel and Israel's about to be destroyed and the people fast because of the impending doom. Nehemiah 1.4, Nehemiah fasts when he hears the gates of Jerusalem have been destroyed. Why? Ancient world, if the gates fall, you're about to see an immense slaughter of men, women, and children. So the gates have fallen, impending doom, let's fast before the Lord. Esther 4.3, when Haman's decree to kill the Jews gets out, the people fast. Impending doom, you fast. Now this is one of the reasons why we don't fast as a culture. Because we don't experience impending national doom. I mean, think about this. We live in the greatest superpower, not only on the face of the earth, but the greatest superpower the world has ever seen. We have the greatest militaristic might the world has ever seen. We don't fear impending national doom. Interesting, most humans in history, at least in one, one point in their life, feared impending national doom. Your people 
or in your city walls and the enemy has broken through the city walls, you now know what it's like to know that your entire people, the city is about to fall. You can maybe make a case for 9-11, but even that was, was it impending national doom. You have to go back to Cold War type stuff, missile crisis stuff, nuclear war crisis stuff, and really back to World War II. I mean, bombing of Pearl Harbor, and you're about to go to war with the other great superpowers of the world. So my generation and some of your generations in the room have never experienced impending national doom. You don't know what it's like. We're the minority. That's abnormal. But God's people and most people know what that looks like. And so when impending national doom is about to happen, you fast. You go before the Lord. The third reason why people fast in Scripture is repentance. And this might be most practical uh, and applicable to us. When you are dealing with sin and God has convicted your heart and you're finally going to own up to some sin in your life. It's been going on for a decade, let's say. Before you go and confess that to God and you confess that to other people, oftentimes Christians would fast the day before. And it was a way of saying, I take the seriousness of my sin. I take it into account. It's a big deal. Sin is not lightweight. It is heavy. And I've been in the wrong, and I'm going to confess this to God and to other people and repent and turn from my ways. And that was often accompanied with fasting. You see this in Scripture in a couple, several places, but two probably most famous examples are book of Jonah. Jonah goes, tells the pe- goes to tell the people of Nineveh, like, God's going to take you out unless you all repent. So what do they do? They don't just go, oh, we repent. They fast and repent. Paul the Apostle persecutes Christians. He's a bad dude. Jesus meets him on the road. What does Paul do? He fasts for three days, no food, no water. And then he breaks his fast and starts following the Lord. So it's a way to say my sin is heavy and my repentance is coming alongside of fasting as I turn from my ways. This is one of the reasons why the early church had that Friday rhythm. Was Friday again is the day Jesus is crucified. And so the crucifixion for sins reminds you of the weightiness in his sacrifice and what he's done because of your sin. And what's, what's great about fasting like on a Friday is that it creates this regular weekly rhythm for you to reflect on the sin in your life receive forgiveness, confess those sins, and on a regular basis be reminded of the cross. Now, one of the reasons why we don't do this much is, is frankly because the modern Christian church doesn't take sin serious. It's lightweight. Like, the second you start talking about, like, the, the tragedy and evil of sin in our lives, people are going to be, oh, that's legalism. Let's not, let's not push people to too high standards. Like, Legalism is external religious actions done to justify yourself before God. If you are a Christian, you're justified by Jesus Christ, and therefore you want to live in a holy manner. It's just holiness. And the call to be holy and to live rightly is all over the Bible. And so there's not a, there's not a, a weightiness to sin in our culture. In fact, in the secular world, people sin and brag about it. You celebrate it. Celebrate how, how evil and wicked you are. But Christians say, no, I am dishonoring my Savior 
This sin is real, it's serious, and as I confess it, I'm going to fast and come before God. So those are sort of the three major categories. The one way area we see uh, fasting accompany with repentance is in the book of Leviticus, having to deal with the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, which occurred once a year, once a year God would atone for the national sins of Israel, and on that day, all of Israel fasted. Everyone. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger, stranger who sojourns among you. For on the day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse yourself. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. So word for afflict yourself literally means to, to afflict your throat. So the idea is that you're not going to give your throat the food that it wants. Now this is, this is what's incredibly interesting. God built it into the Hebrew calendar that every single person in the nation of Israel would at least fast once a year. Now there's some some ways to get out of it, like if, if you have some health conditions for some people who are um, too old to do it or they have some problems, there's always allowances made so you didn't have to fast. But if you were able, God himself built it into the calendar that every single person in Israel would fast once a year. That's crazy. Everyone's doing it at least once a year. They did it more than that for sure, but at least once a year. It's a part of the rhythm. It's a part of the calendar. Which again shows us why it's so crazy how it's just like this stuff isn't practiced in, in most churches in America. It's just kind of, we, we just go over it. And there's some barriers why we don't. I mentioned the biggest one already, right? Instant gratification. It's like, that's probably the biggest barrier. That, that shows you how you can have blind spots reading the Bible. Like the Bible talks about it all over the place, but you've never done it because you have a blind spot there because of our culture. Our culture creates that blind spot. One of the other reasons why we don't fast has to deal with our understanding of body and spirit. And this, this is difficult to articulate because all of us are different in our understanding of how the body and spirit relate to each other. But we all are brought up in a Western modern culture and we've inherited some ideas about body and spirit that do a tremendous disservice when we try to approach these things. So for instance... Many people, and some of you, even if you know better, you might feel this way. You, you think or feel that the body is bad. The body is the flesh. That's all bad. And that the spirit is, is the, the, the good thing. And so uh, ultimately, one day you're going to die, and the body is done away with, and then you get to go be a, a, a disembodied spirit in heaven and float around in heaven in your spiritual form, divorced and free from the bad body. It's like, that's not the story the Bible is telling you. Oftentimes we think, it's like, we're really a spirit, and that spirit gets like poured into our body. Our body is like a container. You get some, our spirit and poured into the body, and then our spirit occupies the body, and then at some point we get rid of the body and we're free. It's not the story the Bible is telling you. When you die, your earthly body is buried and it turns to dust. But that's not the end of the story you will be resurrected with your body. 
a resurrected body. God designed you to be body and spirit. The perfect human being is the resurrected Jesus, and he's not a spirit. When That's the first thing Jesus wants everyone to know. He resurrects, and it's like, oh, Jesus, he could be a spirit. No, 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 touch, touch. Let me show you eat. Let me, let me cook you some fish. You are a body and a spirit. That's how God designed you. When you are, if you're just a spirit, you're incomplete to God's design for you. And so because of this, this is where it gets incredibly important. We believe that we could just do stuff in our spirits, divorced from our body. But the Bible always wants you to embody your spirituality. What do I mean by that? The Bible says when you worship God, what should you do? You sing, you raise your hands, you bow on your knees. You embody the spirituality, and as you embody it, your whole being, body, and spirit begin to worship God. So I'll give you another quick example. If you start your mornings off by getting on your knees and praying to God, I guarantee you that prayer will be different than if you start your morning and pray like this. It'll be different. Because there's a connection. It's sort of like a weird Eastern mysticism that says you could just do something in your spirit and not your body. God says to, to, to bow. And when you go to worship, sing, lift up your hands. Let's say you get bad sleep for five days in a row and your job is stressful and then you get bad news about a cousin who passed away. All of those things are occurring at the same time. Your body is literally under a strain. It is not producing the normal amounts of chemicals that your body normally has that gives you motivational power, that gives you the ability to be happy and not be grumpy and angry. It's like, that's not just your spirit or just your body. Those are material, physical chemicals in your brain. But they're intricately bound up. So you haven't slept for five days, you're under stress, your cousin passed. If you go to church on Sunday morning and you're grumpy, do you feel like lifting up your hands and worshiping Jesus with a smiley face? See, it affects your spirituality. Now, if you're feeling grumpy and depressed on Sunday morning, you don't feel like worshiping God, what's the one thing you should do? Lift up your hands and worship God. Because what occurs there is not just obedience to a command of Scripture, but you are actually through your body trying to force something to occur. And the research is clear on this. If you sing and you lift your hands and you clap, stuff is occurring in your body. It will be encouraging, not always, but it helps. And so God wants us to embody our spirituality. We lift hands. We sing. Why do we sing? Not just to be obedient. God knows it's good for us. I mean, it's crazy what happens when you sing. When you sing, you are rewiring your brain around God's truth. People who sing together, like in choirs, for a long time together, their heartbeats actually begin to sync up. And that's not like weird, crazy voodoo. That's like hard science. Things occur in the body. The spirit is not meant to be divorced from the body, and the body not meant to be divorced from the spirit. You are a body and you are a spirit. And when you die, you lack your body only for a blip so that God gives you your resurrected body. So with all of this, we want to embody our spirituality. Christians don't like do. Well, I'm lifting my hands in my spirit. 
In the spiritual realm, I am singing. In the spiritual realm, I'm bowed. No, no, you do it with your body. You do it with your body, and it makes a difference. And we're not, I mean, American culture, we're not a very expressive culture. I'm not a very expressive person, so I'm going to see this, but you're not going to like, it's like, then there's a lyric that says, we sing and dance before you. And like my, like, it's like the extent of my dance. But you know what? That's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And what you do is you work more into it, and you, you, you kind of get more comfortable with that. And so there's some of you who are very expressive. You have no problem. I mean, there's some, there's, there's some of you, man, you walk into this room and the worship music's on, you're just like, we're ready to go. And some of you are, are kind of more, more like me. I'm kind of reserved and pulled back and I'm very expressive. We all have a command to do something. At minimum, be singing. And then if you feel the Lord calling you to lift your hands, lift your hands. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. We're body and spirit, spirit creatures. So, you guys know where this is going. I'm going to ask you all to fast. You're like, oh, come on, man. It's Super Bowl Sunday, man. I got chicken wings at home. I chicken wings. I got, I got some nice frozen microwavable egg rolls. I mean, I'm already, you know what? I already committed. I'm not going to microwave those egg rolls. I'm going to actually cook them for the 20 minutes in the oven because then they get crispy and not soggy. I'm already showing enough discipline. I'm fast now. The Super Bowl, give me some chicken wings. Okay, it doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be today. And I'm not going to tell you how to fast or make us all align on one simple fast. This is what I want to challenge every single person in here. If you are able, if you are able, if you have a health condition, there's some other issue, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to you. But if you are able, pick a day to fast. And you can do this one of two ways. You can do a 24-hour fast. It's very simple. Or you can do what uh, Jewish, Jews have traditionally done in the early church did, um, you don't eat during the day, so, so you stop eating when, when the sun's up. So basically, you're going to skip breakfast and lunch and then break fast at dinner. Now, some of you are already wise. You're already figuring out ways to cheat on this because you're like, I'll wake up at 4 a.m. and just throw down, man. Wake up at 4 a.m., throw down. Well, there was provisions for that, too, because most of the time you would give up the dinner before when the sun, when the, the sun finally went down. It was a, there's an idea, and, and I wish we had this. There's an idea in Jewish thought that says the day begins in darkness and it ends in the light. So when does the new day begin? What does Shabbat begin? It begins the, the night before. The, it begins in darkness and ends in light. We're, we're kind of the reverse. So you could do a simple 24-hour fast. You could just give up breakfast and lunch and then eat dinner. Some of you might have fasted before, so I would challenge you to do like a three-day fast. No food, drink water. Some of you may be experienced in this, although honestly, just I, I know it's very few, but some of you might be challenged to like a seven-day fast or some, something like that. But just take baby steps. Don't try to be super righteous, because I'm telling you, when you hear this stuff, you're like, oh, I'm going to fast. That's and then, have, okay, I'll know by who laughs. How many of you ever got pumped up about fasting and then you started and like four hours into it, you're like, the Lord is merciful in his forgiveness. He's going to break this and I'm just going to. It can be difficult because you have habits of instant gratification. So start somewhere small and you can fast for a number of reasons. Maybe there is some tragedy you're dealing with. 
Maybe there is, you know, we don't have impending national doom, but maybe you got medical news or a loved one got some medical news and you're saying, Lord, I'm gonna gonna fast on behalf of this person. Or maybe God is revealing to you some, some sin in your life and you're saying, I wanna take my sin serious, Lord. It's weighty, it's heavy, it matters. And so I'm gonna confess to you, I'm gonna confess to other people and as I do this, I'm gonna fast for a day. Maybe I mentioned this sometime in scriptures, people fast for wisdom for an important decision. Maybe there's a a really important decision coming up and you don't want to use your wisdom, you want the Lord's wisdom. Fast. Again, maybe skip breakfast breakfast and lunch. Maybe just do a full 24 hours. Maybe it's three days for you. Or maybe you get in a habit like the early church was. On Fridays, you you skip meals. And you get that into your normal Rhythm. Every single person in here challenged to fast in one way or another, if you are able. Usher's going to pass out communion. Oh, I haven't mentioned this, but one of the greatest things you could do is you fast and then you break it with communion because that bread and that juice will never taste sweeter. It'll never taste, I mean, I know this is what's supposed to be. It's so, the bread is, it's like, this is nourishment. This is sweetness. There's a situation in the Bible where John the, the Baptist and his disciples regularly fast, but they've observed that Jesus and his disciples don't fast. You're like, that doesn't make sense. You just got done telling us how Jesus assumes everyone fast. Well, Jesus and his disciples are not fasting, and John the Baptist and his guys are going, why not? And so the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In other words, Jesus says, my disciples have me now. I'm with them, but I'm going to go away, and that is when they will fast. We live between the first and second coming. The bridegroom is not here in the sense that he was and how he will be in the second coming. So we fast. And this may be the most important part of all of this. When you fast, you are saying no to the basic needs of your body and you are saying Jesus you are more than enough when you say no to food you are saying Jesus you are more satisfying you are more sustaining than food you say no to water Jesus you are more refreshing than water my body needs bread and it needs water but what my body and my spirit need the most is you Jesus you are saying, Jesus, you claim to be the bread of life. I believe that. You are more sustaining and more satisfying than food. Jesus, you said you are the one who gives living waters. I believe that. You are more, fre- more precious and more refreshing than earthly water. And so as we come to communion, we remember these things. If you're not a, a Christian, um, this is something that... that Christians participate in. Um, it's how we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we do this, we stand to show proper reverence. Jesus says, the bread 
is my body broken for you? And so even though we have not fasted yet, when we take this, may the declaration of our heart be this, Jesus, you are more sustaining and satisfying than bread. And the cup which represents the blood of Jesus spilt on our behalf, you are more refreshing than water or wine. And so, Father, we ask your spirit to lead us, convict us. What, what fasting would you have us do? Some in this room need to take a baby step on a day, and some need to commit more regularly or to a more significant time. We're all at different places, Lord but we want to be obedient and we want to love and serve you. May we close this time in worship where we embody our spirituality, where we sing your praises, where we lift our hands and we declare your truth in both our bodies and our spirits. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.